Greetings from Cyberdelic Space. This is Lorenzo, and I'm your host here in the Psychedelic Salon. So, uh, after getting the previous two podcasts out in less than a week apart, you maybe thought that I was uh, going to be more efficient at getting these programs out earlier in the week. And to tell the truth, I thought so myself. But for some reason, I just can't seem to get going these days. Probably because of the heat, and uh, I don't do too well when it's hot. At least that's what I'm telling myself. Actually, uh, I was thinking about going on a reduced schedule for part of the summer so I can get more work done on my new book. But uh, so far, not much has been accomplished on any front. As my dear departed mother sometimes said, my get-up-and-go has got up and went. But then uh, three of our fellow saloners uh, have prompted me to get back into the saddle again and get this podcast out. And they did so by sending in three very generous donations. Now that uh, all of our expenses are covered for the next 45 days or so, I guess I'd better do my part. So uh, a big thank you goes out to Albert S., Nustabox, and my fellow grandfather from the U.K., Robert O. Uh, Thank you guys for helping out with the expenses of uh, keeping these podcasts coming everybody's way almost every week. And this week, uh, as I promised uh, in the last podcast, I'm going to play another one of Dr. Timothy Leary's talks. This time, I'm uh, going to play one of the talks that he gave nearer to the end of his life. Now, I I don't know the exact date of this talk, but in it he mentions that he was uh, 71 years old at the time, and that would uh, place it sometime late in 1991 or in 1992. And one of the things that uh, caught my eye and caused me to uh, select this particular talk is that it was given to a group in Orange County, California that goes by the name The Inside Edge. Now, you may have heard about them. Uh, In fact, in March of 2001, I gave a presentation there myself. And so I have a little idea of the venue, uh, particularly uh, the time of day that these talks are given, which is uh, quite early in the morning. If uh, memory serves me correctly, they gather about 6.30 a.m. and the talk begins about an hour later. And the audience, by the way, is uh, composed of uh, some of the brightest movers and shakers in the L.A. area. And so it was uh, a pleasant surprise for me to hear the good Dr. Leary giving his presentation in exactly the same laughing, jocular way as we've uh, heard him in the past. As several of our uh, fellow saloners have pointed out to me, It sometimes seems that uh, Tim Leary has maybe ingested something before giving one of his talks. But this time, uh, due primarily to the early morning hour, I seriously doubt if uh, he'd taken any drug other than caffeine, uh, which I found to be in copious supply at the Inside Edge uh, morning gatherings. No surprise there, huh? Now, uh, let's try to imagine that it's very early in the morning. Dawn is just breaking, yawns are everywhere, and sleep is still in our eyes. And then Dr. Timothy Leary begins to speak. Well, it's uh, a pleasure to be here. I really do feel quite at home as I listen to uh, this group sharing your goals and your experiences and sharing the attitude. There's a, I would not call this a down, depressed organization. <laughs> I thank you for that. Uh, I feel that 
we have very much in common. Uh, I feel that uh, there's very much we share. I'm not sure exactly what I can say this morning that you don't really know already, although there are little perspectives and facets and twists and new uh, new uh, curlicues on the great spiral of evolution that uh, keep us entertained. Um, people ask me if I have changed in the last uh, 30 years. <laughs> well, <laughs> just to keep up with the rapid flow of events, you have to run as fast as you can. Uh, so that um, the uh, question of change is something that's just part of our, our place and time. One thing has not changed, though, for me. And that is uh, my basic posture, attitude, goal, uh, life plan. Uh, for as long as I can remember, I have been influenced by a role model that uh, has guided me and through my navigation of this amazing life. Uh, I, uh, I'm a great uh, follower of Socrates. I can remember when I was a young college student reading in one of these books of philosophy about this uh, group of uh, Greek people that would sit around in Athens, instead of planning invasions of Persia or of Rome or whatever, they had this kooky belief that the aim of life was to know thyself. You know, they swayten. I'm not sure that's the correct Greek pronunciation, but the I know what the translation is, that the goal of human life is to find out who you are and where you are going and uh, get a little better at this navigational problem. Um, now, there, when you think about it, that's a very subversive motto. I mean, in this room, it's just the bumper sticker of the day or the week. <laughs> but back then, the very notion that you had a self was about as subversive in the Persian Empire and the Babylonian Empire and the uh, the feudal uh, empires. Uh, there was no such concept of an individual. Who are you to have the nerve, the audacity, the impiety, the heretical uh, presumption to think that you have a self that you could possibly know about? You're a serf, you're a slave, you're an, a, a servant of God or whatever, the, of, the, of the king or the sultan. So that the very notion that there was a self to... Uh, nurture and to uh, help grow and to learn was by by definition explosive uh, the idea that you could pass this on to other people uh, can get you a lot of trouble um, you know socrates uh, paid uh, paid uh, gave paid uh, called the hemlock solution uh, for his audacity in urging young people to to uh, develop their minds uh, think for themselves Corrupting the minds of young is a difficult job. <laughs> God knows it's ill-paid. <laughs> Somebody has to do it. <clears throat> and I have been a faithful practitioner of the Socratic... Uh, uh, and by the way, as much as uh, I, I think I oppose the the federal government of the United States, as much as anyone, 
And yet, on the other hand, uh, uh, I think I share with most of you, perhaps all of you, the the gratitude the, that uh, this country, this land of North America, has been a wonderful place for for those of us who believe in the Socratic notions of individual divinity and so forth to be alive and growing. Because uh, I could certainly not have practiced my career as I have in the last 40 years in any other place. I would have ended up in Siberia or uh, barbecued uh, <laughs> like Bruno. So said that. Uh, in spite of the fact that I am extremely critical, I yield to no one in my criticism of Washington, B.C. Uh, I, I, I do feel this is a wonderful time for change agents to be alive. Uh, there's something about Socrates that uh, I think is worth mentioning. Not only did, did he give us the great bumper sticker, um, which, by the way, implies something else. It implies um, what we might call now... Uh, inner potential or inner divinity. He's saying if you want to find uh, the greater powers, the uh, higher authorities, God, no matter what name you want to call her, um, you, uh, you start by looking within, and uh, certainly looking within and uh, developing your own mind and your own, uh, your own uh, approach is the way to do it. And I think that uh, we can't repeat that uh, slogan over and over again. I have been shocked, as I'm sure many of you have been in the last few years, to see, particularly after the 60s and 70s, this extraordinary return to barbaric superstition and fundamentalist uh, religion. This notion that there's one God, and that one God is our, our God, and of course he's a male, and uh, he happens to be a pretty pissed off male. <laughs> <laughs> All the people out there that don't agree with him are definitely uh, so that um, uh, I have been shocked. Uh, you know, when you think of what happened in the 1960s and 70s, that now we look back and say, oh, well, it's just another renaissance. It's been happening over and over again. Uh, time after time, the repression, the totalitarian systems, the authoritarian structures get so strong that there's a uh, there's a, a uh, I wouldn't call it an explosion because that's too violent. There's a sudden blossoming of, of humanism, of the ideas of individuality, of the indiv ideas of creativity. It happened in the Italian Renaissance. It happened uh, at certain periods, I think, in early American history. And uh, we went through this. Uh, I have always suffered from two uh, problems of myopia and just plain short-sightedness and narrow vision. Uh, I tended up growing, you know, growing up thinking that everybody was like me, and that is, a, you know, obviously <laughs> a mistake. Uh, no matter who you are, we tend to believe that everyone's going to be like you. If you like to go around and shoot buffalo, you think that everyone else wants to shoot buffalo. In my case, I thought that everyone would want to devote their lives to to personal freedom and inner potential and sharing, uh, you know, you know what I'm thinking about. And, uh, you know, in the, in the uh, 60s we had the, even the Catholic Church began to change. I had uh, my first few years exposed to Catholic teachings and I felt that was pretty, pretty kind of funny, you know, but the Immaculate Conception, I, I could never figure that one out, but I won't go into that. 
but in, in the 1960s, it's extraordinary, you know, the Catholic Church in this country became a liberal organization. Remember the Berrigans and the, uh, the, uh, the uh, South American uh, Catholic leaders and, uh, very no- and the nuns? How about the nuns? The Catholic nuns <laughs> in the 60s and 70s? I couldn't believe it. Uh, uh, and then now, in the 1990s, can you believe the Pope? I mean, uh, uh, by the way, uh, I must warn you, uh, uh, it's my job, but I have to make fun of every organized religion and political party. That's my, that's my job. <laughs> and uh, uh, I'm very ecumenical here and very tolerant in my intolerance of authority. Uh, if there's any uh, organized religion or, uh, or a political party I have not uh, been irreverent towards, uh, call it to my attention and I'll, <laughs> I'll think of something. Um, so I've made two points about Socrates. Uh, number one, uh, of course, it's not just Socrates. Socrates and that group in Athens got it from they got it from the banks of the Ganges. They got it from Buddhism. They got it, you know, this, 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 these are the, the oldest and deepest uh, motives of human life. Uh, they basically come, go back, I suppose, to the, um, the, um, the pagan religions with many gods and um, most of them, of course, uh, feminine gods. Uh, so that it wasn't that Socrates invented this, but Socrates kind of uh, organized it. And Socrates not only came up with this notion of individuality, of inner potential, inner divinity, uh, kind of a distrust of authority, but also some very interesting mythological, psychological, you know, nuts and bolts uh, methods. If you think about the Socratic method, it was not just the, uh, the goal, the method was this. Socrates never taught, never wrote a book. <laughs> in a room full of authors. <laughs> I know this sounds eccentric. <laughs> but uh, his, his basic technique was kind of to ask questions and to make little funny observations designed to get us thinking, to get you thinking. He was not giving you the, the Ten Commandments, number one, I'm the only God in your level, blah, 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 and all that. Uh, I've always been amused by the Ninth Commandment. <laughs> Thou shalt... What is it? Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. <laughs> I mean, don't think about that too long, are you? <laughs> Sorry about the husband, I guess. <laughs> but um, the, um, the, uh, the method that Socrates used was uh, get small groups of people together uh, aimed at, designed at, goal for, geared for, pursuing the basic questions, who are we, where are we going, how can we get there better, and so forth. Small groups of people uh, dealing with the, uh, the, the deepest problems of inner potential and, uh, in a nice, comfortable place. It helps to have uh, stimulants around. Uh, they used to, used to lie around it drinking a, a wine, apparently it was a very powerful wine, or, or in this case, sitting around uh, with stimulants like caffeine, 
uh, <laughs> whatever. But the idea is there that uh, it's a small group of people. Uh, and of course, the key to uh, to all of this, uh, these notions of uh, of inner potential, inner divinity, uh, know thyself, uh, is the notion that you can't get too involved in or caught up in or co-opted by a big system. As soon as you belong to a system where you're not known individually and where you don't know individually the other people, you're by definition depersonalizing yourself and making yourself a robot cog of the big machine. And that's why it's so intuitively ingenious and natural and effective of this group. The first thing you do is you introduce everybody, you get to know each other, and I'm sure if you come to three or four of these meetings, uh, you, you arrive at the position which uh, is the affirmation of our individuality, that we actually recognize each other uh, and uh, like to see each other. So, uh, goal, know yourself, methods, small groups, uh, no leader, no, uh, no uh, commandments, uh, being, in a sense, is the basic scientific method of continually exploring Another thing, many different points of view. Crito would have his point of view, and Plato would have his point of view. Let everybody speak. Uh, yeah, that, that's quantum physics, of course. You set up a field of interactive uh, elements, and uh, the, uh, there's no one truth. The truth is the, what's up there is the interaction, the intersection, the interplay between the different points of view. And who cares if uh, you're uh, behind uh, her because... Uh, that's part of the, she was there before. In other words, uh, the thing keeps moving around uh, with quick feedback. That uh, you don't have to uh, wait for six weeks and take a six-week examination or that sort of stuff. Uh, that uh, you saw immediately the, the interaction, the byplay. Uh, these techniques, by the way, have, uh, have uh, guided my life. Uh, I became a... Uh, graduate student at, uh, I'm going to go off in a little digression here on, uh, on my training, uh, not because it gives me that much narcissistic pleasure, because I think that you're all, we're all in the same business, so you might learn from some of the, the situations I've been through. By the way, who's writing the book on uh, disgracefulness and, oh, I want to... <laughs> We have got to talk. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, when I was when I was a middle-aged person, they used to say, yeah, we middle-aged people used to say, uh, well, youth is wasted. Seventy-one. Seventy-four. I like younger men. Oh. It's only 8.30. Wait till we get warmed up. <laughs> and I would say, do <laughs> you agree with me here? Um, this is a youth is wasted on the young. Because of, with our middle-aged knowledge, if we only you know that, that. But I believe maybe you'll, this, you'll check me out on this. I think that um, senility is wasted on the old. 
<laughs> really? Give me, yeah. I mean, they've given senility a bad rap. <laughs> um, there are a lot of up, up, upsides to uh, getting older. There is tr- it's true that uh, we have some of the typical psychedelic symptoms um, as a short-term memory loss. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> I mean, that is very, I mean, that's wonderful. See, the point that's made here, uh, if you understand about computers and computer files, you'll understand the problem here. I started using a computer about uh, 10 years ago, and I've got a file that's March 1981. Then April 81, you see, but I also got files of March 82, 83. In other words, I got so many files that, and also I've met so many people. And also I've met so many interesting people (laughs) that, uh, you know, that just clogs up the, uh, it's just a question of uh, clerical (laughs) confusion. (laughs) And also you see so many things also, I think, the, the older you get, if you keep uh, whatever, you know, <laughs> keep your head above water or whatever, uh, you see so many things, uh, and everything's connected to everything else, right? So, um, so you know, uh, some idea here, and immediately I'll see, so it's hard for me to write one paragraph, because after every sentence, it can go so many different ways. Uh, That's why we need different types. We need, like, boy, look, he's the all right, all right. <laughs> en français? No, 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 you're French. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, very often, for example, I'll be down in my study and uh, I'll have something very important that I have to do in the living room. And I'll walk uh, 30 feet to the living room. And by the time I've got there, I have forgotten what I was going for. But. I will have recapitulated the history of the human species from the amoeba to Dan Quayle, right? <laughs> oh, uh, well, if I get, I forget what I was talking about. <laughs> I know. Okay, very good. Okay, yeah, your energy, too. Okay, right. Hey, listen, uh, we should take this on the road, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't tell you, but we've already started. I know, okay, right. Uh, <coughs> um, oh, I was going to say, yeah. Uh, I went to, uh, in 1946, I became a graduate student in psychology. And in those days, you young people don't realize what we went through. See, this was the peak of the industrial age. And the aim of psychology was to help people be adjusted. Remember? And if you were well adjusted, that was it. And the worst thing you could say was someone was maladjusted. Which means they were thinking for themselves. <laughs> I remember, I don't know if you probably, none of you in this room can remember that, but there was a, uh, a personality test called the Minnesota Multiphasic Personality Inventory. <laughs> and it was 50, 5, 550 questions you answered yes, no, 
Are your bowel movements tarry and black? Yes, no. Do you, do you sometimes think you're a special agent of God? Damn right. You know that. <laughs> Do you sometimes have strange and unusual thoughts? Yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> Do you sometimes obey rules of authority? Yeah, yeah, sure, okay. So I took this test, and when I got the, I scored the test myself, and I looked at it. And, oh, shit. Because I got the highest scores, almost the highest score possible, on something called psychopathic deviate. <laughs> Not to mention schizophrenia. <laughs> and femininity was up a little too much, too. I mean, really. Uh, <laughs> so I immediately hid it, and I actually faked it and brought all these things down a bit. As a friend of mine, many of you probably know his name, but Professor Frank Barron, was one of the great writers on creativity. And an Irishman, and we were having some beers one night, and I said, Frank, uh, listen, I don't know whether I should go on. as I feel like a fraud and a you know, a criminal here, because <laughs> uh, I don't know if I should be allowed to be exposed to other people with the record I got here. I pulled out this thing, I showed it to him, and he looked at me, he said, wimp. <laughs> that uh, psychopathic deviant, of course, meant that uh, you thought for yourself and you didn't uh, always obey, blah, blah. Anyway, uh, uh, my PhD thesis Looking back on it now, it was basically totally Socratic. Uh, I realized that it was not a good idea to have a doctor treating a patient, and the patient would come, and the psychologist would diagnose, and the social worker would analyze, and then a diagnosis would be given, and the patient would be either hospitalized or put on a couch, and this is any set of circumstances and rituals designed to make you feel impotent and small and helpless. It's this psychiatric uh, process. So uh, I just, I wanted, there was something called group, group stuff was in the air. It, was, it came actually from British uh, Air Force studies of pilots and crews, uh, group, 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 group dynamics. And so I went to the head of the Palo Alto Veterans Hospital and said, listen, I want to do my PhD thesis on group therapy. And he looked at me as though I had proposed a uh, thesis on cannibalism. <laughs> he said, group therapy? Why, that is immoral. It's illegal. You can't have patients treating patients. He said, would you do that with surgical patients? <laughs> Why, they'll infect each other with their own diseases. Uh, they'll corrupt each other with their own problems. The paranoid will get all new ideas from the obsessive compulsive. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, I did do the thesis. It was done in counseling in a Unitarian church. The Unitarians were always very helpful in those days, probably still are. And, uh, and then uh, uh, we also tried other techniques. Uh, one thing that always bothered me, you know, I might say uh, the two things that uh, I, you know, politically, throw out here that I've kind of picked over the years. One is uh, that the cause of a lot of problems that human beings have, both collectively and individually, is secrecy. And any time you have secrets, you are in trouble. I mean, it's called cover-up, and of course, all politics is secrecy. 
and that's what led to Watergate, that's led to the, the Rand scandal, and this and that, uh, uh, that, um, that uh, not to mention uh, at any time in your personal uh, situation, if you're keeping secrets, that erodes, obviously, it, it basically erodes uh, the relationship you have with other people. I learned this back in the uh, 60s and 70s when I was a little unpopular with the FBI, and they found this strange... Uh, looking telephone men would come to our place and start fixing the telephone. <laughs> and I thought about it and I said, good. I hope the FBI is listening to everything we say. It'll be good for them. Because <laughs> and, uh, and I never, uh, although I did five, four and a half years in prison and two years in exile and two years in parole and blah, 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 uh, I never made any bones about uh, my crimes. Uh, I said that, uh, yes, I like to smoke marijuana now and then. And uh, <laughs> my other crime, the real crime was, I never was found p with possessing marijuana. It was always someone, in one case it was my uh, wife, in another case it was, uh, well, they planted my car, but in any case. Uh, uh, but the real crime they had me for was escape. <laughs> Now, what can be more public than that crime? <laughs> when I was being tried, it was kind of hard to <laughs> prove I had an escape. <laughs> there was the bunk check, and I wasn't there. You know, so. <laughs> the point I'm making is that secrecy is... Uh, and I want, you know this. I'm sure this, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here, but there's such an enormous self-confidence you have if you have no secrets, nothing to hide, you know... Uh, uh, and the second generalization, I should stop here in a minute, but uh, to throw out is that after many years of observing the political situation, I'm convinced that the, uh, the real basic problem of politics and uh, group relations and whatever, you, any kind of human relations is uh, the oppression of women by men. Because you get to racism, uh, then that's terrible, but still the black woman is the you know the male female works there, and no matter how you get up to the you get up to the White House, the old wasp there is George Bush and Barbara, but uh, who's carrying the sneakers, Barbara? So that uh, uh, that underlying and of course uh, that is uh, that's the uh, that's the uh, in a way it's the most complicated. On the other hand, it's the simplest. I mean, if you want to start practicing politics, let's go to work on that. And uh, I throw in a little uh, observation here. Uh, I'm very, uh, you know and I know that things are happening in the world today that are shocking, scandalous, unbelievable, uh, the cruelty, the return to superstitious religion, and you know, in Belfast and in the Armenia and in the Croatia and on and on, and religion, 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 fighting, fighting. And then there are many good things happening. There is a younger generation which is uh, communicating through uh, electronics and uh, through uh, music and through dress and through... Uh, and there is, and in this newer generation, I call them the new breed, uh, it's global, it's international. They can, uh, we say the, 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 the robes and there are the suits and the boots and then the new breed who, uh, they, they wear exactly what they damn please. But there's an attitude. Uh, and uh, there's a lot being said in the paper today about Japan. I've been to Japan five times in the last two and a half years, and uh, I, I'm, the, I'm the contributing editor to three uh, like uh, underground Japanese youth magazines. 
But by underground, these are the slickest, most graphic jammed, hot, you can't believe. They're, this is no throwaway paper pulp black white stuff. Uh, so that one of the great things uh, that I've learned just recently in the last year about Japan, you know, there's been the problem that the Japanese are too, um, they, they, too much respect for authority and uh, bowing and all that. But two things have happened which are extremely heartening. Uh, ten years ago, the percentage of Japanese uh, young men, college students, who were uh, you know, majored in engineering, got on the Mitsubishi ladder and they went out of that, and they were taught exactly what percentage to bow to each uh, person they dealt with. Uh, present time, I think it's about 17% of the British college students are in engineering. They don't want to work on Mitsubishi's farm no more. They don't want to climb on that situation. They want to go into foreign travel. They want to go into, uh, you know. Uh, what that means, uh, by the way, in the last 10 years, the Japanese industrial empire has multiplied 10 times so that suddenly they're going to line up and beg for a job. The, the companies are coming begging young Japanese students Come and work for them. Now that, see, that, that, that's a profound cultural revolution, more important, I think, than Marx. But more important than that is a change in the attitude of uh, young Japanese women. Uh, because, yeah, you probably know about it, yeah. It is thrilling to go out and see these young uh, Japanese women, and they, they, oh, they, they're criticized, they're the Shinjin-rui, they're called yuppies. But, because yeah, because they want to dress, they want they're very trendy, and they like to they they are changing all the time like that, and basically they want to make their own decisions, and they're not going to uh, go around in kimonos bowing and scraping for their uh, for their husbands. And again, these are kind of almost genetically historical inevitabilities. Um, it's because of the boom in Japanese industry. They need intelligent people to work for them, and who do they need? They need women. Therefore. They can't expect the, the women to be uh, in kimonos and all that. So that I, I find these very, uh, two very uh, encouraging uh, developments. Yeah, uh, that means five sentences. <laughs> five ideas. <laughs> uh. <laughs> This is a very wonderful group. I mean, really. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> thank you very much. Thanks a lot. roving mic. Um, we'll have some questions and answers. Oh. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Hi. Do you, do you keep in touch with your buddy uh, Ram Das, who's going to be talking uh, close by here on uh, Judaism and spirituality coming up in a few weeks? Uh, do you, you still hear that last? Thing? Yeah. What was that last thing you said? I know about Ram Das, but then what? Oh, he's going to be talking uh, in a few weeks on Judaism and spirituality. Where? 
uh, up at the uh, University of Judaism on Mulholland Drive oh, on a Sunday. Baba Ramdas Richard is going to be speaking at the uh, University of Judaism. I know where that is, up in Mulholland. Yeah. To answer your question, I see Ramdas two or three times a year. Uh, he comes by my house and we have a split a bottle of wine or a six pack and have a joint or two. <laughs> By the way, like it or not, it's our duty. <laughs> uh, I am extremely proud of him. Uh, we we went in many different directions because, uh, as we all are, we're very different people. Uh, I'm a I'm a stirring, I'm a troublemaker by definition. I just want to get people like that. And uh, Richard Ramdas is a uh, he's a very he makes for, for peace, and he just can. He, he, he exudes a wonderful sense of uh, warmth, intelligence warmth, uh, with an incredibly amusing Jewish sense of humor. He calls himself now a Hindu. <laughs> uh, and he's devoted, as you know, to uh, uh, programs of compassion and healing and helping with the blind and with prisons and with uh, AIDS and... Uh, I sometimes say, Richard, you're going to run out of, of diseases, but uh, uh, he's doing well, and I certainly urge anyone who has never been in his presence, or even have, to, to go to the University of Judaism. He's, you'll get a buzz. <laughs> Dr. Dr. Larry, um, I wanted to first uh, say thank you to you that I have been following your career and your thoughts for about uh, 25 years, and thank you for saying whatever you've said all those years, first of all. Thank you. Um, why do you think that women have let themselves be kept down? My example is that most women wear very pointy shoes. As a person who helps people change their feet, people come to me with crippled feet, and I say, stop wearing high heels. They won't. Yeah, that's the foot-binding problem. Why do we still do this? Well, you and I know why. Because in the early cave days, the men were tougher and stronger and beat the shit out of them. That's why. And it still comes down to that. Uh, the, 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 those two cases, the Kennedy uh, case and the uh, Hill case, showed us that a male who is either socially superior to the woman or physically superior, late night, you attack, who's going to tackle whom on the lawn, um, uh, it's, it's his word against hers. And uh, it's uh, social power and physical power and uh, they vanity. oh what how about vanity on the part of the woman vanity on the part of the woman well what a, I think it's a pretty good thing what about it <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you mean but uh, in regards to the high huh in regards to the point of view oh that vanity oh yeah uh well, Neil, we can't, obviously. We're going to get in here. Uh, basically, uh, I belong to the... Uh, yeah, I, I see no reason why women shouldn't dress up and boot jangles, bangles, God knows anything you can make yourself feel better to do it. But I also feel the same about men, too. <laughs> and if you've got a great body and want to strip down a bikini, uh, go for it, Joe. <laughs> or Joe's. Yeah, I mean... Uh, <laughs> Consenting adults, anyway, yes. Uh, Dr. Leary, thank you very much today. It was wonderful. 
Uh, I'd like to ask you, if you had it to all to do over again, what would you do more of? Uh, I certainly would have fucked more. I mean, made uh, delicate, powerful, sensual, erotic love more. <laughs> uh, Dr. Leary, um, you spoke. You spoke very critically against religions, which I tend to agree with. Organized religion. Organized religions. However, there's one religion called the Baha'i Faith, and I think they have a more enlightened approach. And I'd like your uh, commentary on that particular group. Well, the fact that they never tried to proselytize me or push me around, I'm in favor of them already. <laughs> this is Baha'i. Everything I've heard about that uh, uh, it makes me feel, uh, yes, I've never heard any example of them persecuted. They've been persecuted, right? Yes. So, yeah. Um, and what do we mean by words like religion? I remember, I go to a lot of these New Age conferences, which are interesting. Uh, it's, it's their, you get people coming together, uh, you know, the different things they're selling and it's, uh, it's, it's private enterprise in the best sense of the word and, and massages and different stuff. And uh, I was being interviewed by a, uh, a television reporter and he says, well, do you call this religion? I said, well, I don't know what you mean. Is that spiritual? And he, says, he said, it's so disorganized. I said, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The idea of organized religion, a bunch of men somehow get together and decide they're going to legislate a 15 billion year <laughs> evolutionary process, anyway. Y yes. Hi, Timothy. Oh, I'm going to ask the psychedelic question. Yeah. <laughs> you know, after all these years and all this experience, there, uh, I mean, beyond the veil, there's a world out there, psychedelic world, ayahuasca, mushrooms, acid, you name it. question is, after all your exploration and your wisdom with reference to it, could you make some comment about what's really behind that veil? What is it out there? Because it just seems um, so real, so powerful, so something. What is it that's behind that veil? Well, of course, it's not just out there, it's in there. We, we won't, you know, we agree on that, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I should have mentioned this. I forgot it. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I should write it down, right? <laughs> With my zip code and phone number. <laughs> Credit card, too, yeah. Um, the brain. Uh, the 21st century, I think, is going to be the century of the brain. The brain is the taboo organ. We simply have been, for many reasons, unable to... Uh, understand the brain uh, and basically the people that teach and educate don't want us to understand the power of the brain. The brain we're told is a hundred billion neurons and each neuron has the uh, processing capacity of a big computer. Those are all carrying around behind our foreheads more information, wisdom, engineering possibilities than in all of the universities and computers in the world. And uh, the wonderful thing about this concept of, uh, of the brain is it's totally egalitarian. In other words, the dying child in, in Calcutta, the little kid in Africa, or the, uh, the um, deprived, uh, spoiled kid in Beverly Hills, uh, they've all got the same brain that Einstein had, the same equipment. 
it's all in the software and the programming and then we all know about that uh, this is such a shockingly depressing thought on the one hand and it's so optimistic on the other hand if we uh, now there are two uh, I, I have spent uh, the last 20 or 30 years or more uh, studying very as very certain aspects of the brain and uh, I find it useful uh, to, to use it's a corny division and it's anatomically not correct but the notion of left brain and right brain of course the left brain is not really the whole left brain the left brain uh, using and also I feel this I think I've implied it you can't really understand the brain unless you understand something about how computers store information file information or format files open files how you get trapped in a word processing system you can't get out <laughs> you know uh, so <laughs> There's a lot to learn about mental processing and left brain activities, uh, and uh, if you understand something about computing. Uh, the, the left brain, uh, we are told, has to do with linear thinking, uh, ordinal stuff, Euclidean, uh, Newtonian. Uh, it's, uh, in terms of Marsh McLuhan's figure as opposed to ground, you pull up all this jumble in this room we pick out one thing the microphone and that becomes the figure that's the left brain the left brain by the way is probably mainly localized in the eyeball so much goes on in the eyeball before it is the eye the really the dos systems the uh, cpus uh, a lot of them are in the eyes the, the decisions are made in your eyeballs they decide what's going to get in the left brain what's going to be disregarded and so forth uh, the very notion you see of illumination uh, vision uh, introspection, perception, I mean, all the metaphors have been there for thousands of years, uh, glorifying the uh, power of the eye. I'm talking about your question, I think, about uh, what's in the inside of the veil. Uh, I, uh, my, my research for years uh, before I got into psychedelics was an attempt to dimensionalize and to be get better left brain functioning. Because we categorize and use words instead of dimensionalizing. Anyway, so there's the left brain. Uh, and what's called the right brain is where there's no figure, there's no order, there's no uh, one, two, three, there's no ABC, there's no, no Euclidean, it's all a jumble, it's a mismatch of a hundred billion multimedia graphic programs going brrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrr
and uh, I'm trying to give you an updated scientific answer to your question. I think there's going to be a breakthrough in our understanding of neuro neurological functioning. I'm writing a book now called uh, The uh, Manual for the Care and Operation of the Human Brain. Want to help me on that? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Chapter in our book, huh? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think uh, one, one, more, one more question. Or no case. We have one. It's time to go, I know, isn't it? Well, you, you, um, it's interesting you talk. I didn't know you did most of your research on right brain, but I was going to ask you, why do I always feel better when I feel like I'm in my right brain? I just, as opposed to my left brain. I mean, when I'm in an imaginative, creative state and I'm just off in total imagination land creating, why do I feel the best? Well, see, it's the left brain that uh, focuses on trouble. If you're out there floating around in the jungle and here comes an unfriendly lion, the lion is kind of camouflaged and in part of the holy, but you better focus on that lion, see, that's a, or that salesperson, or that... <laughs> you say, you've got to focus. So all the worry, all the uh, uh, concern, all the thought, most of the trouble comes from the left brain. In the 1950s, something wonderful happened. Uh, they developed left brain tranquilizing drugs. See, Valium and Milltown and all that stuff. Those are left brain drugs that quiet down the left brain. You know, I got all these troubles. I got all the lion here and a tiger there, and there's my boss there, and then there's the banker there, and you know, all that stuff. Take a Valium. See? <laughs> uh, the, uh, of course, the extreme of that. Are there narcotics where you get so far that you don't even care anymore at all? Uh, that's all to keep the left brain. Heroin uh, is a device to quiet down the left brain. And matter of fact, indeed, opium can kind of sweep you into, they say, right brain stuff, but uh, basically heroin and, and downers just quiet down the busy... Richard Alpert has said it many times, uh, uh, he said, my mind is a crazed drunken monkey. I want to quiet down with meditation. Uh, uh, so, you feel better if you can quiet down your left brain. You can do it with uh, tranquilizers or uh, downers. Or, well, if you take right brain uh, substances. But how many of you know Terrence McLe McKenna, huh? He's a uh, shame and a wonder. Yeah, he's, I recommend him, yeah. He's written about right brain vegetables. There's a whole, when, when I talk to you about uh, democratic drugs, I'm talking about right brain drugs. You know, the, the Democrats are simply too wimpish and uh, they're too, they see everything, they love everybody and all that. But they, <laughs> uh, you feel better with, with right brain because, uh, again, the, ground, the figure disappears and everything is kind of a wonderful, immersive, uh, all is one. Except something can jump at you and I can see this uh, microphone is suddenly, a, uh, you know, the muzzle of a gun. The point is that you're in danger with right brain of uh, having your left brain pull in. But definitely, um, the aim, of course, is neither left brain versus right brain. Be able to move any move any 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 part of your brain you want to. People ask me, "What's your zodiac sign?" I say, "Any fucking sign I want to be." Thank you. Good night.
You're listening to the Psychedelic Salon, where people are changing their lives one thought at a time. Wasn't it uh, interesting just now to hear Dr. Leary, sometime around uh, 1991 or 1992, talking about the exact same thing that Aldous Huxley warned about in 1962? Namely, uh, getting our population sedated to the point of not noticing or not complaining about our condition of servitude. So you see, the uh, warnings have been there all along, but the voices of these prophets were drowned out by the corporate media. Fortunately, uh, we now have the net, and uh, things, hopefully, are beginning to change. And the reason things are changing, my dear friend, is uh, because of you. I really don't think uh, that you realize what a unique person you are. Every day I see people uh, out and about who have earphones stuck in their ears, and my guess is that most of them are listening to music. And I do that myself, uh, so I'm not putting down on listening to music. And In fact, uh, I think it's even more important to listen to music than it is to listen to this or any other podcast. I don't know about you, uh, but without music in my life, uh, I doubt if I'd made it this far. And yet, uh, right now, you and I aren't listening to music. We've uh, just been listening to an ex-Harvard PhD talk about consciousness expansion and the evolution of human societies. Now, what's wrong with us? Why aren't we uh, listening to something else right now? Well, the only answer I can come up with is that uh, because you and I are a little different in how we think about life. Sure, uh, we still enjoy all the joys and pleasures that our fellow humans do. But for some reason, uh, we have this vague feeling of discontent that uh, causes us to push the envelope of consciousness just a little further. Something in us uh, just won't let, uh, won't let us rest with the situation as it now is. You know the situation I'm talking about. The global population explosion, lack of resources and living unsustainably, wars... Let's face it, uh, the world's a mess right now, and on the face of it, there doesn't seem to be much that a single individual can do about it. And yet, uh, here we are, thinking and talking about how we got into this pickle and how we're going to work our way out. Maybe uh, we'll never do anything more than talk to our friends about these issues, but uh, at least we're aware of what's going on, and uh, at least we're talking and thinking about the human predicament right now. It may not seem like much, uh, but in my humble opinion, it certainly does set you apart from the crowd. And uh, I'm honored to be here in the salon with you and all of our fellow saloners, evolutionaries who are manning the front lines of consciousness. Or, uh, Or maybe we just like to alter our consciousness every once in a while with a little brain candy like the talk we just heard. Who knows? Well, uh, that's enough philosophizing for now. Uh, let's see what some of our fellow saloners are saying. One note uh, comes from Chris, whose email uh, represents the sentiment and several others I've also received recently. And here's uh, part of what Chris had to say. I found the path of using psychedelics for my own personal use quite a difficult path, even when I was living in the supposed heart of free expression in Australia, northern New South Wales. So having your podcast to listen to over the years has kept my hunches about psychedelics' usefulness, their ability to fundamentally touch core, and the way they reset my internal compass back to the me-you source. Chris, uh, I might add, has been with us uh, here in the salon from almost the very first podcast. 
And that fact alone tells me that uh, I'm doing something right to keep you coming back for 145 programs. Just uh, thinking about how loyal our fellow saloners are has uh, raised my energy level significantly. Thank you all, uh, not just for being here today, but uh, for coming back every week. It's good to have you here. And another great place that you're going to find some of our fellow saloners is uh, over at the forums at thegrillreport.com. Besides the uh, Psychedelic Salon Forum, uh, that is where you're going to also find over 30 other forums, including uh, several for travel in various places around the world. On the Salon Forum uh, over there, there are now over 100 threads with uh, a lot of very well-thought-out postings to them. Uh, I was going to mention a few of the topics, but uh, every time I've gone there to make a few notes, I wind up spending several hours lurking around uh, many of the forums and uh, participating every once in a while, but uh, mainly just reading all of the wonderful comments people are making about uh, some of our favorite topics. So if you haven't already been there, uh, you might want to take a quick look to see if there's uh, something of interest there for you. And uh, you might be surprised at what you find out. Uh, For example, uh, Sancho23 started a thread asking if uh, anybody else lived uh, in or near the Chicago area. And uh, as a result of exchanging a few comments in that thread, uh, we realized that uh, we were both born in the same hospital. But uh, quite a few years apart is my guess. Anyway, uh, if you don't have a little clan of your own to meet with nearby, uh, give the forums a shot. uh, Or try the Saturday afternoon Skype chat with our friends over at dopefiend.co.uk Who knows, uh, you might meet your next best friend that way. Well, I'd better cut this off for now and post this podcast before I find another reason to procrastinate. But it was really good being with you again today, uh, and since we heard Dr. Leary recommend Terrence McKenna in today's podcast, I think that we should uh, hear from the good bard himself next week. So I look forward to being with you then for a little more brain candy from Dear Terrence. Until then, uh, I'll close by saying that this and all of the podcasts from the Psychedelic Salon are available for your use under the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 license. And if you have any questions about that, just click the Creative Commons link at the bottom of the Psychedelic Salon webpage. And uh, that is also where you'll find the program notes for this podcast. And for now, this is Lorenzo signing off from Cyberdelic Space. Be well, my friends.